0: I've got a funny green hat that I wear in bed and it's like a little um, bonnet because it's so cold in my bedroom and I like to like wear it to bed and sometimes I surprise Tom by, it looks like I've just got my bonnet on, you know, I've got my bonnet and everything. And then once I did have the bonnet on, but I didn't have anything on underneath the sheets and Tom was very surprised because I looked like a little elf and then then actually I wasn't. Mm, I'm yeah. not a naughty nude little elf. We should call this a sex bonnet episode, shouldn't we? Yes, exactly. I'm thinking of that
1: um, soft sell uh, record, Sex Dwarf, Sex Bonnet, Sugar and Spice. (laughs) 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 Yeah, we'll retackle that sex bonnet.
0: Hello, Esther. Hello, Ducky. How are you? I'm all right, and you? Yes. Are you ready for some sex bonnet honey? (laughs) Ooh, yes. I got a beautiful delivery in
1: the post, a box full of honeys. Well, three Mm delicious-looking honeys. And um, uh, I haven't got my sex bonnet on because I don't possess one,
0: (laughs) but I know you've
1: got yours on. And, And so will you be thinking of sex when you're eating these honeys?
0: Well, you know, honey is a very sort of um, sexy, sort of sugary syrup, isn't it? And um, I will be, yes. I think <laughs> I think I will.
2: Hmm. Okay.
0: Well, <laughs> which should we start with? Yeah, so we got these three honeys, and the reason why I thought, because we've already tasted some honeys from, you know, around England that we really loved, didn't we, and we had them on some bread, but... Um, over the, you know, the last month, I've been listening to um, Paula, who's going to be coming on later, telling us about different single flower honeys. What's her you know, name? Paula Carnell. And how, how do you know about her? So I met her online and um, she's a natural beekeeper and a honey sommelier and um, she was talking over the Christmas Advent about a different single flower honey each day. And honestly, Jane, it ignited my imagination. After all these years, I was thinking, flipping egg, I've tasted all these honeys around England and I've tasted like different honeys from different places in the world, but single flower honeys, Mm. I'm not really knowledgeable about. But I didn't realise, I didn't realise how different each of these single flower honeys are and what different properties they've got
1: right because i'm looking at i'm looking at them now and i'm looking at the mm. colors and the colors yeah. are just so different aren't
0: they mm. i'm looking yeah. at
1: um the greek honey yeah the strawberry tree mm, uh, which is right. bitter honey and that's kind yeah. of like a sort of um, um light brownish sort of color yeah and then the um seggiano uh, which is the Italian honey, and it's mm. sunflower. And mm. that, as it um suggests, is bright yellow.
0: Yes.
1: Um, and then the hilltop honey, which is Bulgarian mm. coriander honey. Mm. Yeah. And that's kind of like an ordinary sort of honey colour. It's sort of, yeah, what you would mm. you'd see, it's sort of, yeah. Uh, quite yeah. quite a dark colour, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but um, I, but the sunflower one is just, I mean, it looks like lemon curd.
0: I know. Well, maybe we should start with that one.
1: Okay. Because
0: um, I've got mine from, in fact, Paula recommended this company called Amelsons. Um, mm. And they do all these single flower honeys. So on the sunflower honey, mm. it says it's very good for flu or cold-like symptoms like sneezing, sore throat and fever so shall we taste it first so this is what paula did in her um in her lesson so she stirred the honey in the glass
1: glass, yes so give it a nice
0: stir give it a stir round it's quite difficult because it's very thick consistency yeah it's quite thick isn't it and Mm. it's got quite a lot of granules in hasn't it
1: now is that crystallization
0: yes so that's crystallization because i was reading about that earlier Oh, well you? And it says
1: that's not a bad thing. A lot of people think when the honey's gone crystallized that it's it's not you know it's not as good. But I was reading that it is just as good.
0: Yeah, of course. It's just as good. It's just that, you know, it's got colder and it started to crystallise. Mm. So give it a interestingly enough, uh mine is going the more I stir it, the more yellow mine is going. So it's oh, like man, going into That's a, interesting because yeah.
1: Mine's actually going lighter
0: the more I smell yeah, it. Yeah, mine's going lighter as well. So let's get some on our spoon.
1: It's on my spoon.
0: And apparently a sommelier uh, has a silver spoon because oh. that then doesn't affect the flavour of the honey, but we'll, we'll just pop it in. So what, yeah. what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, like, move it around your mouth, over your tongue. So give it a smell first. So smell yeah. the glass like wine. Oh, I'll smell the glass, yeah. So can yeah. You, what can you smell? What can you smell? Oh, um... Uh, uh, it's not too strong, it's quite
2: mild
1: It's not. it's very mild A bit custard-like
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love custard Right then, come on then Let's have a little taste now okay. then. So in your mouth mm. And mm. I, I roll it around my mouth, do I? Yeah, roll
1: it around mm. well, It's delicious mm. and the crystallisation mm. I actually really like crystallised honey I like that grittiness mm. of it
0: yeah, it's lovely, isn't it?
1: Mm. Oh, this is really good.
0: And then at the end, can you taste the flavour once it's gone?
1: Mm, I'm just having another spoonful. Yeah, I'm going to have another I've, one. Let's have another my tooth. It's hurting my tooth, it's so sweet.
0: Mm. But it's so nice, isn't it? Mm, yum. And then afterwards, afterwards, does anything happen? What, like a popping? <laughs> no,
2: like, like
0: action. Because <laughs> 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 no. in the... When Paula did it, sometimes she talked about an after flavor, and I know one of these fla- one of these hunters has got a very strong after flavor. So I'll be interested, but I'm, I'm
1: not,
0: not my job right
1: now hmm. with an after flavor. I mean, it is the... very strong still in my
0: mouth. Well, it says very light and floral taste with a hidden note of bitterness. Hmm, I'm not getting any bitterness. Hmm. Are you? I did get a little tiny note of bitterness. I'm gonna have another taste. See how I get bitterness. So maybe that's because, because something interesting has happened. Because I've tasted a very bitter honey. Um uh, th- there are some bitter honeys, and I've tasted them, so I can actually taste as a little bit of bitterness at the end. Right, okay. But, but but maybe through this after these three honeys, maybe you'll see what I mean. Yeah, brilliant. Right, so if you want to have a drink of water or a slurp of tea, yeah. yeah. So yeah. wash your mouth out. Oh, that's it. I've got mine in a very big pint glass. So next, we're going to go mm. on to the, onto the coriander honey. Again, mine's crystallized a bit. Is yours? Oh, no, more... mine's very, very runny. Is it? Yes. All right, I'm going to stir mine see
1: what happens. Mine's now. Yours is a different brand. Yours isn't Hilltop, is it?
0: No, mine's again. Mine's the um, Amelsons. Right, it's the Ooh. one that Paula recommended. No, mine's so very the... very runny, like um, just an Ooh. average
1: looking honey. So, so, have a smell of it then. Okay.
0: Oh my God, that
1: is oh. That smells nothing like honey to me. What
0: does it smell like to you?
1: Like a sort of wax polish, you know, that you ooh. use on
0: furniture. Oh, so oh well, you could save this, and you could, you could wax up all your tables after. <laughs> <laughs> Make them lovely and sticky. Oh well, mine's gone very creamy now. I've beaten it. Mine's ooh, a very. Hang on, I've
1: not beaten mine. I'm beating it now. Oh yeah. Mm. It's sort like of got a bit the... of. It's got a bit of a texture of golden syrup, isn't it? It it's, is well, quite syrupy. Um, I know yours has gone crystallized, but mine's not crystallised, but it's it's very, very thick like golden syrup.
0: Mm, well mine's and it, very colour.
1: It's the same colour as golden syrup as well.
0: Ooh.
1: Have you had a taste yet?
0: No, I'm gonna taste it now. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. Go. go.
2: Ooh. Mm. Gosh. Oh my god. I mean, I've
1: not tasted honey like that
0: before. I know. Isn't that extraordinary? Mm. It's like to me, like a licorice all sorts. Yes. Hmm. I can see like what the coconut like the coconut ones, or the. the mm. What
1: do you think? I love it, but I also really love the texture. The texture is really silken. Mmm, so silky in my mouth.
0: Isn't it nice? Mmm,
1: mm, really is. Yeah, and i have never really sort of, you know, sort of thought about the texture of a honey before in my mouth. But this is just like, oh, it's it's just so silken.
0: Oh, Jane. I mean, when <laughs> you think about <laughs> coriander. Coriander is like curry-ish, isn't it? But this, this isn't curry-ish. I mean, it's got that no, coconut, coconut flavour, but it's mm. so weird. And apparently, as far as I know, what does it say on my label? It says, starting off with a strong floral and herbal flavour with a medium sweetness, the sourness of the coriander, honey, is notable complemented by a... Delicate citrus zing. Mm. It has a bright herbal lemony aroma, creamy consistency, but gives a velvety finish on your palate.
1: Oh, the velvety finish.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's what you said. Yes. Apparently, coriander honey is quite a delicacy because the flowers don't really... It takes about five years for a coriander plant to really flower well. Unless it's like a genetically modified uh, coriander, then mm-hmm. usually a wild coriander or a natural coriander only flowers about every five years. So the bees would only get to the crop, It, w- it w- wouldn't be that often. But I, I suppose nowadays they, they uh, you know, they they've got modified ones. But so um,
1: um, when 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 it's <coughs> a bee as just um been on a, a single flower mm-hmm. for the honey. How yeah. do you stop a bee going on other flowers?
0: Well you do have to give it a very good talking to, and that <laughs> usually takes about five years. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you have to tell it that it's been very naughty and it's not to do with Does that You have to
1: go on the naughty step if the if the if the, if the sunflower yeah. has been on the coriander. It definitely
0: has to go on the Nordic (laughs) step. Well, these honeys, I suppose, like say for instance, in somewhere like, I think you said your sunflower was from... Italy. Italy, yeah. yeah. So if you've been to Italy, you'll see that there's loads and loads of sunflower flowers. Definitely, I saw some in Tuscany. There was loads of fields and fields of them. So the beekeeper would put the bees on that sunflower farm and they would just go on the sunflower, and then when the sunflowers was you know coming to an end, they'd perhaps take the honey off, and that would be sunflower honey, so they'd right. know that they just got the i mean one bee might fly off and go onto a coriander field mm. and but obviously it wouldn't make that much difference, but may, most of the the flower, most of the bees would would just go on that single crop
1: making daisy i and watching all the honey bees. Endless nights underneath starry skies
0: Every day summer when you spend it with me So now we're going to try the Arbutus honey, or it could be called the strawberry tree honey. Yes. And th- this is a honey that grows, uh, well, it, this is a flower, this is a plant that's really, really... Um, uh, What's the word when you... Oh, dear, I've obviously got, forgotten how to speak English over the, in the last few weeks. Maybe you're trying um, to speak Greek, because this
1: is a Greek, honey.
0: Yeah, well, yours is a Greek.
1: Your, is yours not a Greek?
0: No, mine's, again, it's a Spanish one. And I do know that Arbutus grows in Spain and Portugal, and they make a very, very strong drink, a bit like um, moonshine. It's a bit like moonshine. Oh, Yes. It's got so many properties, that this Arbutus. It's got right. so many properties. It's meant to be. In fact, it's got more antibacterial qualities than any other honey. And so oh, it yeah. says it's, it's very great antiseptic uh, uh, of the urinary tract and also Ooh. has anti-diarrhea properties. <laughs> okay. And it's anti-inflammatory and cleansing. All oh, right. Okay. Very good. So give it a stir. Okay, it's quite brown, though, isn't it? Quite yes, and brown. it's got lots of bits in it. Yeah, very granu- granulated. What are they? Bits of pollen? Well, no, I'd say that's the granulation. You know, the it's started to turn into sort of sugar. Because uh,
1: apparently, you can sometimes see bits of pollen and bits of bits and bobs in the honey. Yeah,
0: yeah, you can. Because if a beekeeper has not really strained it into, you know, I've done that before, you know, and you might have a leg of a bee in or you might have a not bit really. of pollen. Yeah. All right. Smell first then, smell. Mm. Mm.
1: mm.
0: I can't smell much. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, quite, it's quite a, a distinguished smell for mine. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Shall we have a taste?
0: Go on then, right, yeah.
1: Mm. Now I'm getting the bitterness in it. It does say bitter, honey, Mm. on it. Blimey hell, it's bitter. Gross. Oh, I don't like it. (laughs) Oh, it's so bitter. It's so bitter. (laughs) Oh, I don't like that. No wonder it's good for you. Nothing (laughs) that's good for you tastes good. (laughs) It's so surprising, isn't it? Oh, it's so surprising,
0: I couldn't believe that holly could be so bitter. Well, the strawberry tree, you know, the fruit on the strawberry tree, I don't know whether you know, have you seen it? It's like a quite a big tree and it's evergreen and it's got these little spiky strawberries that grow and strangely enough, my neighbour's got one in the front garden. Oh, really? And the bees, because it flowers and fruits in the winter, you don't very often see the honeybees on it in our country because it's too cold for them to get to it. But every now and then you might get a mild day and they're all over it. Yeah. Um, but but obviously in Spain and Greece and Italy, it's, it's warm enough and they can go on it and it's it's got so many good properties that it's really, really, you know, a very favoured honey around the world and people who use it for medicinal purposes. So you're supposed to have two spoonfuls of this a day and, you know, your life will be changed. I really wanted you to taste it because I just thought, I mean, both of those, the coriander and the arbutus, is like nothing else you've ever tasted, isn't it? No, I know, exactly.
1: I mean, I suppose if you were to retrain your taste buds to think of Mm. honey in a different way and not so sweet you you might kind of get used to it but it does sort of feel like you've had a sort of metal spoon in your mouth for a while
0: I know it's so weird who's gonna have that on the toast
1: (laughs) yeah so it would only really be used for medicinal purposes wouldn't it
0: yeah and you know what I bought a great big bloody jar of it well then it's good for you well I am good for you Well I tried to get Tom to eat it and he said it tastes like dog poo. Well I don't think it tastes like dog poo. He said I am not eating that. He he said no way. And so (laughs) the one that we've just had. Yeah, he said I'm not tasting I'm not because it tastes very there's something about When did he have dog when did he eat dog poo last? (laughs) No. He must have it in his sandwiches at work.
1: (laughs) So I'll call you
2: up.
0: Hello. Hi there. Hey, Paula. We're now in a diabetic coma and we want to know what honey we should take taste to, to get us out of it. Well, really,
3: you shouldn't be, because most honeys do sort of balance your insulin. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you shouldn't be too bad. Yeah. No, shouldn't. I'm fine, actually. I'm not, I'm not too high.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> How long have you been a beekeeper? I'm in my 10th year oh, now. Oh, nice. Okay. And, and what brought you to beekeeping?
3: Well, I used to be an artist and I had a gallery and a publishing business and I used to exhibit all around the world and I loved what I was doing and I thought that was my my calling. And then when I hit 40, I literally crashed and I ended up being bed and wheelchair bound for seven years. And after six years, they diagnosed it as Ella's danlos syndrome, which is a, a genetic condition. So I wasn't meant to be getting better. But while I was ill and before I knew what it was, I was spending all my time in bed and I had to think because I knew I couldn't paint and it was unlikely I would go back to painting to cope mentally. I was thinking what can I do rather than what I can't? And what I find amazing is at the moment when everybody's trapped in their homes, we're also encouraged to do the same. So stop thinking about what you can't do, but think about what you can. Yes. So I'm, you know, instead of traveling, I'm doing jigsaw puzzles of the globe. You know, oh, brilliant. <laughs> <What else? laughs> fantastic. So I was thinking, well, what can I do? And of course I couldn't do much, but I could lay in bed and look out of my bedroom window. And um, I just felt I wanted a beehive. And so my husband bought me a beehive, and put it in the garden so I could lay in bed and watch the bees coming and going. And we found a mentor, and he took care of the bees. And I would get out of bed once a week and, and get to the hive and be taught how to take care of the bees.
2: Wow, it's amazing! Oh, amazing.
1: And so, yeah. and do you think um, has the honey been been helpful in your recovery?
3: Well. Yes, I mean, because while I was ill, what did help with recovery was being quite strict with my diet. So I I didn't eat any sugar and I didn't have wheat or dairy. And I didn't notice that if I ate certain things, um, I, I would become more poorly. So I've, I'd i never been a big honey eater. And actually, it's only since becoming a honey sommelier that I've, I've never eaten so much honey. I do eat a lot of honey now. <laughs> um, but um, I think it was more a case of the being given a purpose and really it was learning about the bees that and what I'd learned about my own health and what made me feel better and then being taught about bees I then thought oh hang on a minute that doesn't sound very good for the bees so I started to question things and use what had helped me with my health with taking care of my bees and because at the time Um, when I would talk about this to my mentor, and then when I was well enough to go to B meetings, I was verging on mad or heretic, you know, with some of the things I'd say, I felt, well, I've got to prove what I intuitively feel is right. Mm -hmm. And so I felt I had to become an expert. So I just started reading everything I could going to talks, lectures. And what's been amazing is now the science is backing up what, I knew. Mm, So it's really, really lovely. So I'm not... I'm not quite such a crazy woman anymore. And I think that's something that bees teach us is however you care for your bees, you have to work intuitively. You know, you you get near a hive and you might think, oh, I'm gonna do this, that, or the other. And you get there and you think, oh no, I don't think they want me to do that today. Mm-hmm. And you have to adapt and work on your intuition. And the same thing is, you know, you could be at home and not planning to see your bees. And if you've got your bees out on an allotment or an apiary somewhere. And you just have this feeling you need to go and see them and you do and you find that a badger's knocked off the lid or or something's happened. So I think bees teach us to connect again with nature mm. and listen to our intuition.
1: Yeah, you feel that, don't you, Esther?
0: Oh, yeah, I do. Yes. I sometimes if I see a bee at the window I think oh it's come to tell me something but if I say that to Tommy oh. he thinks they're absolutely bonkers but I feel <laughs> actually I think oh this little bee's come to tell me something they best pop up to the hive and have a look.
1: Just just to quickly go back to the single flower um, honeys, how long has this been happening that single flower honeys have been made?
3: Oh gosh. Well, even the Romans did single flower, single variety honeys. um, And they actually, I had some of their, or I had some borage honey. It wasn't Roman honey, but um, the Romans used to grow borage to make honey and they called it their happy honey because it uplifted people. And I was feeling a little bit, um, not quite my normal Buzzy self yesterday. Mm. And so the way I like to have honey is I do popcorn, I make my own popcorn and then I drizzle honey over it, Mm. which gives you a bit of a kick, but you're not eating too much honey. And um and it's lovely because honey does calm you down before bed. So it's a great thing to to watch all wonderful travel programs whilst eating happy honey on Mm. popcorn before I went to bed. I sometimes have difficulty sleeping, and so
1: what honey would you recommend before bedtime?
3: Well, any honey you fancy, really, and just a teaspoon about half an hour before bedtime. You don't need to have it in water or anything like that. Just have it as a teaspoon because honey, by its nature, does calm you and it does balance your sugars. So although people think, oh, it's, you know, it's sugary and, um, you know, I, I shouldn't be eating honey. But because it's complex sugars, because it has a mixture of um Um, sucrose fructose and glucose it does actually balance your your inulin levels what about the the honeys that we've just had the sunflower coriander and the arbutus well the arbutus is interesting because it's low um well the plant when it's flowering it's low in glucose so it's quite difficult to get the bees to feed on it and they'll only feed on it if there's nothing else available Mm. and Arbutus blossoms between October and December um, and so there often isn't anything else available and one of the projects I'm working on is we're trying to get our own Arbutus honey and we've got about 50 new trees or sort of 5, 10 year old trees, Arbutus trees and they've been blossoming but nearby there is this huge sweep of rosemary. And so the bees are flying right past the Arbutus and going to the rosemary mm. because they prefer it. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, it's very interesting that the bees seem to know what's what. So that lower glucose level is what affects the taste. So the Arbutus has a really bitter taste, mm. which we're not all familiar with. And it is actually the most bitter honey mm. in the world.
0: We couldn't believe um, it when we tasted yes. it, could we, Jane? No,
3: oh, it's very metallic. Uh, It is, and it's quite a shock, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. But if you mix that with the cheese, if Mm. you drizzle it with a nice creamy cheese or even on a yoghurt, you lose that bitterness. So that's quite incredible. So the the
1: medicinal properties in honey, can you just talk us through those?
3: how, How many there are? Well, there are as many different honeys as there are plants that produce nectar so you know there there are thousands and thousands of different varieties of honey I've got a personal collection of about 230 mm. now Wow! Um, and I just keep learning but one of the questions I'm always asked is is manuka the only medicinal honey and manuka is a really really interesting honey but if you go on to a more perhaps spiritual um, level, the Manuka honey that's produced by the traditional people who take care for their soil, who pray for their soil, who bless their soil, who take care of their bees, has actually now been proven to have a higher medicinal effect than honey from the same plants, from Manuka, but is grown as a monoculture. So honey is only as good as the soil it's grown from. And the and the plant, the quality of the plant. Mm. So it's not as simple to say, oh, lavender honey does this or thyme honey does that. It is a lot more complex than that. And this is one of the interesting things about humans is we try and make everything simple. And and there's that difference as well with with medicine. Um, so allopathic medicine is the more Western way of looking at medicine, which is a sort of a sticky plaster thing. So it's like you've got a cut, so you put a plaster on it. But if you look at naturopathy or even Ayurvedic or or more traditional medicine, you'd say, why have you cut? Why is your skin breaking? And that's what you would then treat. So you're looking at the, the deeper reason, and that's what we need to do with looking at honey as medicine: is you have to think. Why are you drawn to a certain honey? And then again, you go on to why is that plant growing in that place? Now, one of the really interesting ways that sort of illustrates, well, there's two stories actually that illustrate this. First of all, they found that bees self-medicate inside a hive. So in the hive in the winter, you have the colony in a cluster and they move around the hive to different honeys. So they don't just start on the left hand side of the hive and, and like go through their larder and just eat you know all the dandelion honey then do the bramble or you know end up with ivy they don't do it like that they literally move around and they've also found that bees when they are um suffering with some kind of illness they will choose a particular plant to forage on so they will stop foraging on one plant and go to another plant because they know of the medicinal properties of that plant Gosh, so that's, that's the one fascinating, thing. isn't it? It is it is and so this is why if you take a whole box of honey so you have your brood box and you have these supers and the bees will fill up a super of honey. And what conventional beekeeping is all about is taking that whole box. So you might mm-hmm. take the bees and find that they filled a box with rapeseed honey and you just harvest all that rapeseed or you harvest all the lime or the clover or whatever it is mm-hmm. in season. Yeah, I mean, but I then- just I just take or I just get the whole box and take
0: it home and spin it. You know, but because, then you've
3: taken. Mm, I suppose it's like if I mean, I leave another your, box.
0: I always leave two, a box for them and take a box for me. You know, but it's still what you're saying is that they've got a plan, haven't they, with that honey?
3: They have. They mm-hmm. have. And so the way I harvest, which is a bit more labour intensive, is I take I take all the supers off. So say I've got three supers on a on a hive. I'll take it, move it to one side, and go through it and just take a few frames from each super so then I might take one super out of three leaving them two Mm -hmm. but the two will be a mishmash a mixture of all three and what I do which is lovely and woo woo and perhaps a little bit witch like is I sit and meditate with the bees a few days before I go and take the honey and I just say "How how much honey can we have how much honey can I harvest from you please and they don't sort of fly out and Spell out, you know, six frames or or anything like that. They, <laughs> they do a number two in the a sky.
0: sky. Well, not that sort of number two.
3: Or a number six. Ooh, don't know that <laughs> one. Or maybe (laughs) because I've got my eyes shut, I don't see them doing that.
0: Oh, (laughs) yeah, you're missing the trick there. I just get
3: a feeling. I get a feeling that it might be six frames or 20 frames or 25 frames. And then I say, OK, girls, thank you very much. And I'm going to come back on Tuesday or Wednesday and we're going to take. And what's amazing is I work. I've got a team, a bee team, and we work together. And um, one of my bee team is a very experienced beekeeper. who has got over 40 years called Joe Bleasdale. And, um, you know, he, he's an older chap and he's obviously got lots of experience. So when I first started saying, no, we're not going to smoke the bees and we're going to talk to them and we're not going to take a whole box at a time, you know, I could see his eyes rolling, Mm. but I said, you've got to humor me and just for these bees, I'm the boss. So so we're going to do it like this. And what we found was that the bees because I'd never got the hang of the clearing boards, you know, and queen excluders. I've never no, felt I've right never with those. I've never got that. I've
0: not got the hang of that.
3: Um, and those clearing boards, you know, you put them on and it's meant to stop the bees going up into the super. So you can just take a box. But I'd put a clearing board on, leave it for 24 hours or, or whatever, and then come back and there's still bees in the super and I've put <laughs> it on the wrong way around or whatever. Yeah. So I, I just thought it's easier not to do that. And what I found is that the bees, or what we've all found, is the bees almost tell us which frames we can have mm. and when they've been given a bit of warning you open up the supers and you'll find there's frames that are completely capped no bees on it and it's like yeah okay you can have this one this one this one <laughs> how one, amazing i
0: know it is it is <laughs> we and should so do that jane we should do that should we just do
3: a little dance round and yes. ask them which oh, they um, that. and we'll do that now i did learn that the hard way because when i i in the early days of having bees and I needed help with extracting and things because I wasn't very strong and uh, I had a hive in my garden and I'd been talking to them anyway and I just had a feeling that I'd take six frames from them Mm -hmm. and so my husband had sort of kitted out the kitchen got the extractor you know there's newspaper everywhere and we're all ready to go and I brought in the six frames because it's easier than lifting a whole super so you just take out six frames in an empty super and carry it into the kitchen and you might get sort of 20 30 bees on there but you open the (laughs) windows and they fly out and it's fine and then when (laughs) I I had these six frames well I said we did All six, and then my husband said, Um, oh, I'd said, Oh, they had lots more, I could have taken more. And he said, Well, why didn't you? And I didn't really want to admit, Well, I didn't have permission, you know, and I'd agreed six, Mm -hmm. so I felt a little bit pressured. So when I took the six empty frames back to the hive to say, Thank you very much, girls, you can clean these out, I sort of said, I'll just take another two Mm because you know. Mr. Mr. C, he's actually got all the kitchen ready and he said, it's a shame not to waste it. You know, we've got everything out, we're ready to go. So I took another just two frames... Brought them into the kitchen, and we had about 300 bees come. They were banging on the window. Yes! Oh, they were Please. so cool. This is not what we agreed to. I know, I know. So oh, I felt so guilty.
1: Oh, God, it's terrible, isn't that's it? Not, that's brilliant, though, isn't it? I love mm. that, that... Uh, they, they they responded,
3: that wasn't the agreement. Yeah, we have to communicate more with nature and mm. listen to nature. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Absolutely. And, you know, they don't write us letters, but they, they tell us. They do mm. show yes. us and they tell us and we have to learn from that. The other thing about medicine mm-hmm. was that the Welsh Botanic Gardens they have over 8000 species of plants and with their bees they wanted to know which plants the bees went to to mm-hmm. make their honey yeah so they analyzed all their honeys and to their astonishment the the plants those bees went to were just 11 Different species. So they had a choice of 8,000. I mean, they had this amazing, exotic <laughs> variety of plants they could choose from. And they went to 11, and all 11 were the native species that were growing outside the botanical gardens. So it was wow. the willow, the hazel, the mm. dandelions, the bramble. And That's I mean, amazing. I just find that amazing. Mm. It is so, so amazing. They were cool. xenophobic. Well, I think this comes back to the medicine because have have either of you heard of um, Jacqueline Freeman, who wrote the book, The Song of Increase? No. Oh, it's an amazing book. Absolutely amazing book. And she is a biodynamic farmer and she's been keeping bees for like 15, 20 years. And she talks to the bees, and the bees talk to her, and she writes about what they tell her. Oh. So it took quite a long time of her talking to them before they started replying. And um, <laughs> what <laughs> did this say? Thanks. Oh, it's amazing. And actually, I really recommend having the audiobook because. Jacqueline reads the book, but at the end of each chapter, so she says, oh, you know, I'm out in the the garden or I'm in the orchard and it's this is happening and this is blossoming and the bees are doing this, that and the other. And then at the end of the chapter, it has, in our own words. And it, the voice changes And it's the bees And Ooh. they have their own language Of what they call the the larvae And the eggs So they have the pips And they talk about What's really going on in there And it's so amazing Because it's very original mm-hmm. And yet it makes perfect sense Do they say so, I like
0: you in that red lipstick, Paul"? You look that's so nice You look lovely
3: Yeah, with your runny nose <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, What sort of things did they say then? Did this... What? So one of the things her bees told her was that their buzz their song is a geographical map of where the minerals and vitamins are in the soil and and so when they go back, they sing their buzz and they dance mm. their dance. And it says, oh, there's this plant here, which has got lots of magnesium in, or there's mm. this plant over there that's got calcium. And because the bees know what they need to keep in balance, they then follow the instructions. Now, she talked a bit about dandelions. Where I live, there's a field behind me, which is a, just a, a grazing field and a, a meadow. And I moved here 16 years ago and it was covered in dandelions. And this year, it was only about a third full of dandelions. And the reason is that dandelions have very deep tap roots. Mm -hmm. So the tap roots go deep down into the soil and they break down the calcium and potassium that is metallic. So it's a rock form of mineral. And the plant breaks that down and processes it into a plant-based form of the mineral, which is how we are meant to take our minerals. So we're meant to have iron in plants, not in a rock form. So this is why when you take your your vitamins or minerals, you've got to be really clear what the source is. So, So the plant then that when the dandelion flowers and all the leaves, it's got all those wonderful minerals in those, those leaves. And if we leave them to settle on the soil, they then correct the soil. So they leave that calcium and potassium on the soil. Now, this is the amazing bit. So then when the dandelion seeds, um, those seeds are taken by the wind and the seeds will only take on soil that needs the calcium and potassium. And so that is just, wow. Mm -hmm. So if you leave your lawn that's covered in (laughs) dandelions, if you leave it long enough, you know, like 10, 15, 20 years, you'll see the, the dandelions sort of march across the land. And this is what the bees notice. And by them communicating with the plants and with the trees, they see that longer. And by sharing the story you know, by listening to the other bees and by this, you know, I love this, um, the thought of them all in the hive sharing the story of what the queen's queen queens had told them, you know, all these stories of where things were, that they then know where these plants are. They know where the minerals are. Now, the thing, if you go back to um, the Welsh Botanic Gardens, the difference between the weeds growing outside the botanic gardens is that they were all self-seeded. And so those plants went there to correct the soil, which means mm. they must have better or or more a higher concentration of the vitamins and minerals that the bees are looking for. Oh so goodness. isn't that mind blowing? That is mind blowing.
1: So actually. so when plants do self seed, is that that general then that they're trying to that 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 is because yeah of they the have minerals. a purpose. But, yes, they, yes, they have yeah. a purpose.
3: You have this circle of nature, which is all about balance and healing and nature. Every part of nature knows that humans are part of nature, but humans have forgotten that. So we've stepped outside that cycle. And so we don't understand the purpose of death and renewal, whereas the bees do. So Mm. it's just it's mind blowing. And it just turns on your head, your whole relationship with the environment.
0: That's a lovely story, isn't it?
3: Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't
1: it? I've noticed that my, my chops are sagging and I'm um, <laughs> um, very resistant to facelifts or Botox <laughs> or fillers. So maybe I could ask the bees to sting my chops
3: <laughs> to make them look a bit better. <laughs> but they might puff it out a bit for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I tell you what is good for your skin is propolis mm-hmm. because propolis is really the bee's skin and you can get a propolis balm um a, a, you know sort of a face cream and that's what I use in the winter and it gives you a slightly orangey glow which is mm-hmm. is quite nice for this time of year but it really does protect your skin and and I think um you know it's something that has been used for skincare for For thousands of years, so I would go that way before. Well, definitely instead of the knife. Um, So
0: when when you say it's that the the propolis is the bee's skin, I thought propolis (gasps) was um, that they go to like the tree and they get the resin off the tree and then they take that back and they make that into the propolis.
3: (gasps) Well, they do, but the question is why, and. If Again, you see, we put a human perspective on bees. So we look at an individual bee and think of it as an individual, but it isn't. It's part of the whole. Mm -hmm. So that individual bee cannot survive without the other Mm 49,000. So if you look at it like that, it's thinking, what holds that 49,000 together? And if they were in the wild, or if they're allowed to, to look after themselves naturally, what they will do is in their hive... So in a tree cavity or even in a wooden hive, if they, if they can, or a, a straw hive, they will coat the inside with propolis. Mm-hmm. Now, propolis is this resin from trees that the bees then mix with a bit of wax, a bit of honey, and they manipulate it and they use it to fill in the gaps to stop drafts. Mm-hmm. But it's actually been shown that they would coat the whole hive. And because propolis is antibacterial, antiviral, antiseptic, um, so there's the very well-known story of a, a mouse that was found inside yeah, a hive yeah. and where the mouse had come in and the bees had propolised it. And that was to protect them because they couldn't drag the mouse out again once they'd stung it to death. Hmm. So they propolised it, which then made it sterile. And so that's what they do. They line the hive with their propolis to protect them. And in Minnesota, they, the university there, they've been experimenting with bees and propolis for years and years and years decades and they found that that really nasty disease that I know you've had experience of um Mm -hmm. EFB European foul brood if now that's notifiable and and you know if you have a spore of that you can wipe out all your colonies so it's a Mm -hmm. really horrible bee disease but they found that a colony that had propolised itself they injected the spores of Mm -hmm. EFB and they, they had two you know, two colonies, one that didn't have propolis and one that did. And obviously, the one without propolis just died, mm. caught it all and died. The one with propolis didn't. They actually mm. didn't go down with the disease. Mm. And so you think, wow. And yet humans have been breeding bees to stop making propolis mm. because it sticks the hive together and makes beekeeper's job difficult. Oh, God. So what are we doing? We're peeling their skin off. We're stopping them protecting themselves. Oh God, that actually...
0: You know what? I'm gonna
3: actually start crying now. It's so sad, oh. isn't it? <laughs> no, but you know it oh. is. I didn't actually realise that. It's just. Oh but the God. bees, no, and I think this is why they're choosing so many people to keep bees now. Because when you start keeping bees, you start asking these questions mm-hmm. and you start looking into things, and and um. You know, I think there's a lot more women coming into beekeeping and we tend to ask questions and challenge things a bit more than perhaps men would. Mm. Um, you know, we like to be, you know, to find out why. Mm. And and perhaps we do a bit more meditating with our bees and, and a bit more witchy stuff. So mm. we're in tune. So I think, and the bees forgive you if you don't know. They don't mind, but they'll just find ways of teaching you, and I suppose, you know, helping you find me so I can share that story, and they help me find Jacqueline Freeman so she could help me, and and I think that's what's wonderful about bees is they bring people together, yeah. and we're all learning all the time, and you know I learn something new every day, and God, that
0: is honestly it's it, magical. It's, yeah, thank you so much, Paul. I feel actually quite emotional. Sorry, oh, girls, but it no. is actually, I think. This whole, yeah, I just think this whole podcast really has been so um, sort of amazing for me, you know, because I've just all these years I've been keeping bees and I've just like sorry, that was so oh. <laughs> oh dear, but oh. I just feel like I've learned so much. I've learned so I know, much. so much, so um, much, and I can't believe oh. that i just feel Mm. so grateful for that and i think i just wonder how i'm i think i'm gonna be keeping bees in a different way you know and and i've learned all these you know just what you're saying now about the propolis and i just to think of it like that that it's their skin you know is so Mm. it helps you you know even understand them even more it's just i don't know it's amazing thank you so much paula that is an amazing story I think I'm going to be a naked beekeeper from now on. Just going to wear (laughs) my little hat and no clothes and just leave it to the bees.
3: Or maybe some What's lipstick. About, what
1: about your
0: downstairs area, though, Esther, which has always been so vulnerable? I'm just going <laughs> to... You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to cover that in wax and honey and hope for the best. Propolis! What <laughs> <laughs> about
3: your own bee beard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. You, you've turned us now, Paula. That's it. Oh. Thank you. But you are a mine of information, Paula. It's been absolutely brilliant. Oh, it's been brilliant, Paula. Thank Thank you you so much. I'm so glad that we found each other. You are yes, so am I. Yes, thank you
3: so much, Paula. Thank you. Bye, bye, Paula. Bye, bye. Bye.
2: Whenever I'm feeling
3: down. Queen Bees
0: is written and created by Esther Coles and Jane Horrocks. It is produced by Claire Broughton and Andy Goddard and partly recorded at The Hives on my allotment near Crouch End in London. Our title music is Sweet Nothing by Amy Mae Ellis and Will Cookson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Queen Bees Pod for pictures and videos from The Hive. Queen Bees is a hat-trick podcast.